Hi, it's Jill Schlesinger. And on this episode of Jill on Money, we are pruning your relationship tree. The end of these relationships, especially when they're close, you know, it's a death of sorts. But this also applies to the more casual acquaintance-like relationships that all of us have in both our personal and professional lives. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. We are presented by Marcus by Goldman Sachs. You know, we're stressed out. We feel like failures. We're working. We're tired. How do you manage it all? I'll tell you how. Our guest today has the answer. Her name is Romy Neustadt, and her new book is called You Can Have It All, Just Not at the Same Damn Time. Here's our interview with Romy. You're listening to Jill on Money with Jill Schlesinger. So we start with a very simple question. I think it's a good one for you, which is, what was your best financial or career decision that you've ever made? When I decided to stop being a corporate chick and be tied to the billable hour and become an entrepreneur and start my own business, while it was scary as hell, it was the smartest move I, I could have made. And I did it alongside, at the time, my, my PR career. What it did was allowed me to design more of a schedule that I wanted, and I got to stop hitting my head against that earnings glass ceiling. And so you grew up in a very strange place for a nice Jewish girl. Where did you grow up? <laughs> I grew up in the thriving metropolis of Butte, Montana. In Butte, Montana, is there a place to get a good bagel? Uh, now, perhaps pretty good. When I was growing up, absolutely not. So it was when we would travel to places like L.A. that we got our fix. Tell me about your parents and your family of origin. Like, what was going on? How did they make a living? So my dad owned a furniture store that my grandfather had started soon after he came to this country from Russia. You know, a lot of Jews came through Seattle instead mm. of Ellis Island. And my grandparents settled in the West. And at the time they came to Butte, it was like a mini New York. It was filled with all different ethnicities and it was bustling. So do you have siblings? I do. I'm the baby of four. Wow. Of the four of you, um, you all go to college? Did you all like, was education a big deal? And was there any direction? Did you feel a pull one way? Like, hey, you know, my dad owned a furniture store. Like, I'm not going to be a furniture salesman like dad. Did you feel like you wanted to do something else? So we're Jews. So education was a big deal. <laughs> the bush was we all go to college. And, and my dad lived through the ups and downs of owning his own business in a mining town mm -hmm. that saw its heyday and saw its downturn. And he didn't want his kids to have to suffer through a lot of that. And there, no doubt, it was the stereotypical Jewish household with, uh, you know, if you could go get a professional degree, be a doctor, be a lawyer, have something to fall back on. Right. Not that my father talked like that because he didn't live in New York, but there you go. So I, I couldn't stand the sight of blood. Mm -hmm. I got through my journalism degree at USC and I was too chicken to try my hand in journalism, afraid that maybe I wouldn't make it out of the small market. And I did the safe thing and went to law school. So off to University of Virginia Law School, I went. And what about your other siblings? Did they also feel pre-professional draws to... Because I think that's very 
common, where you come from maybe a merchant type of family or a peddler from, you know, way back when, and that the next generation, you do hear those messages like get a job, get a career where you can earn a steady living. Don't make the mistake I made. So my oldest brother became an attorney and he's a phenomenal litigator. Um, My sister ended up going into public relations until she decided to step away from marriage and, and kids. And that was her choice. My brother that's closest to me in age is a colorectal surgeon. Mm. He is the quintessential ass man. And yeah. he is so successful and good at what he does. And is he in the West or is he in the he's East? In Just the, in case we need him. He's in the East. If you're in Virginia Beach, William okay. Rudolph is the guy to have All right. poke around down there. Make sure that things are okay, that those polyps don't turn into something worse. Absolutely. All right. So you go to law school. Did you like law school? It's hard, right? So I, <laughs> I loved parts of law school. I loved the social aspect. I loved the people that I was surrounded by at, at UVA. Um, I loved anything to do with trial or appellate classes. I did not love the other legal classes and the scary parts of sitting in that classroom and afraid I was going to get called on and be a victim of the Socratic method. And, you know, here's the thing. And this is what I tell our kids all the time. And my husband, John, does as well. He came to medicine later in life. I think it's really important for kids, young adults, to take time either before college or after college, before grad school, and get out in the world and work a little and figure out who the hell you are. Because it turns out I wasn't meant to be a litigator and fight for a living. Mm. Turns out I'm wired to bring people together, build things. And and that's what feeds my soul. So you lived in Dallas and you're a litigator. And how long did that last? It lasted just under three years. What did you learn working as an associate in a law firm? First and foremost, I learned that this wasn't the right career for me. And that if if I stayed, I was looking around to my my more senior colleagues and I knew that if I allowed myself to stay someplace and get the golden handcuffs and, and get used to the salary and then try and add a husband and kids to the mix, I might feel trapped. Mm. And I didn't ever want to feel trapped. Even back then, I knew that I had to keep looking until I found what lit me up inside. And I encourage everyone, no matter what your age, not to settle. With a spouse, with a job, with, with anything. You anything. can settle for an apartment. That's fine with me. <laughs> like, I, you live, want to live in a crappy place for a while, do that. Right. And, and so when you were in a, a law firm, you talk about billable hours. But, you know, it, when I remember my friends working in law firms, it's also that sense that they own you. I wonder how that felt, you know, especially coming from an entrepreneurial family where your father may have felt like he was owned by his business, but at least it was his business. So I'm I'm absolutely thrilled that you brought this up because there's such irony here, Jill. My father wanted me to go to law school so I'd have something secure to fall back on. And I was a baby lawyer and my dad was having his 70th birthday and I couldn't go home to celebrate it because the first year associates at the firm had to be a part of a trial academy. You couldn't miss it or you'd have to leave your job. So I missed his 70th birthday 
and he died at 72. Oh, that's terrible. Yep. So I've I'm never, so sorry. I'm ne- I, I've never forgotten it, mm. but that was, I always look for the lesson. That was such an extraordinary lesson for me that I have my priorities. I have my boundaries. After that, never again did I capitulate to somebody else's agenda. So how do you move from law to public relations? What was the the step? I mean, did you get into it perhaps because your older sister was in public relations? No, to be quite honest, I, I knew I wanted to get out of law. And I always wanted to live in New York, but I didn't want to be a New York lawyer. So I thought, all right, how the hell can I get there? What kind of job can I talk myself into? And I had a journalism degree. I knew I could write. I knew I could advocate for things I believe in. Mm. And so I thought, all right, let me try talking myself into a, a PR job. And I found a firm who was at the time run by somebody who was a former lawyer and loved my pedigree and thought, yeah, come on. How long were you in PR in New York and where did you live in New York? So in New York, I was in PR. I lived there for three, three and a half, four years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I lived first on the Upper East, mm-hmm. and then I lived on the Upper West. And now when you come back, you go wherever you want. I go wherever I want, and I love it all. All right, so now you're in the PR thing, a little bit closer to maybe what you feel is more in your heart, in your soul. What is it that's not going right for you? So my dad died, and so I moved back to the West because I wanted to be closer Mm -hmm. to my mom, who was still in Montana. And I frankly wasn't ever sure I was going to find Mr. Wright, and I wanted to move to a more manageable city, or what I thought, so that if I wanted to get a turkey baster and do this myself, I could. Mm -hmm. So I was in um, Seattle for a number of years where I met my Mr. Wright, still doing PR, and we moved to Montana after he finished med school to start raising our family and have a really idyllic, amazing life. Mm -hmm. And that's when it dawned on me that all these years in PR, I was making a tremendous amount of money for my clients and they still owned my time. Mm. And so I wanted a way to be able to own my own schedule. And that was your priority. And that's what you kind of got to, right? That to me seems like the big motivator for you was around control. It was absolutely around being able to design the life I really wanted. And I wasn't quite there. And I had these two little creatures and I wanted to be able to put them first and put everything else around them. And so what is this entrepreneurial business that you have now? Who are your clients? What are you doing? So I work with a direct sales company Mm -hmm. and I was able to build an extraordinary business where I have a slew of customers. It's in the skincare space. And I also have been able to grow and mentor a team of tens of thousands, predominantly women Mm -hmm. around the country and Canada and Australia. I was going to say that your eyes look very nice. Uh, just the, the makeup, the whole gestalt of Romy looks very nice. Well, thank you. This is Jill on Money. Hey, gang, it's Jill. Jill Schlesinger, certified financial planner, CBS News business analyst, and host of this podcast. So exciting. I'm here to tell you about our sponsor, Marcus by Goldman Sachs. Marcus is part of a storied company that's been a leader in financial services for generations. 
Marcus offers simple, secure access to FDIC-insured savings products, including a high-yield online savings account that earns four times the national average. Marcus also offers certificates of deposit, including no-penalty CDs. Want to find out how much interest your savings could earn with Marcus? Head to Marcus.com and try their high-yield savings calculator to compare rates from other banks. It takes just a few minutes. National average data provided by Informa and accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Marcus Deposits products are provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, member FDIC. And now back to our interview with Romy Neustadt. So then why write this book and why get into writing in the first place? So, you know, ever since I was a little girl, I've always fashioned myself a writer. I was a journalism major. And then when my business was really taking off, I would have all of these people, both from the company that I get to work with, as well as people from around the direct sales profession coming to me wanting coaching, wanting just advice. The questions were, I mean, thousands upon thousands of them. And I knew I couldn't answer all of them. So that's why I wrote my first book called Get Over Your Damn Self, The No BS Blueprint to Building a Life-Changing Business. And that was to teach them how to build their business. So when I hear you say direct sales, I think like pyramid schemes. Can you want it? You want to educate me? Like, what is it exactly that's happening with the direct sale? And like, it makes me nervous to think like, oh, I liked her so much. And now all of a sudden I'm like recoiling and being like, do I really like her still? What is that? So, so as I know from my legal training, just so, so you know, a pyramid scheme is when there is an exchange of money without a reciprocal exchange of goods and services. Direct sales is a huge huge uh, industry where anybody gets to become a turnkey entrepreneur, whether or not they have deep pockets or highfalutin connections. Mm -hmm. Anybody, people like me, get to start and grow our own businesses, whether it's in real part-time hours or it becomes our full-time gig. And what we get to do is leverage an established product, be able to grow from anywhere without having to build an infrastructure. Obviously more possible with technology today, right? Well, it's extraordinary. And that's what, that's like a game changer. It's, it's an absolute game changer. It was an extraordinary proposition before technology, but certainly I've experienced and my entire tens of thousands of team has experienced the, the power of technology and being able to build from anywhere. I mean, I joke that my office is my smartphone. So one of the things that you were really seeking was balance. What was out of balance and what do you see either in some of your clients or your friends or whatever? What usually is it that women are out of balance around? So here's what I found. My business was growing super fast. I had these fast growing little kids I had a marriage that deserved nurturing. I deserved nurturing. Aging mom who needed more attention. And as everything was growing, as our life got fuller, well, my to-do list became unmanageable. And I recognized from working with these tens of thousands of women, I wasn't unique. All women are suffering from a condition called unrealistic expectations. All the things that we think we're supposed to be and accomplish on any given day and how we're supposed to look while we're doing it. And it's leaving us stressed and exhausted and oftentimes feeling inadequate 
And that's how we're walking around. And what's happening is that we don't have the time or the energy to get to the things in our life that are really important to us. Is this a kind of 1% problem? In other words, you know, if I am struggling to make ends meet, I can't delegate to anybody else. I can't pay someone else to do my stuff. So is this one of the embarrassment of riches, which is, oh, I, I, I guess I have to hire somebody to clean my house or fill in the blank? I don't believe so because I think anyone, regardless of what your economic circumstance is, needs to get really clear on what your priorities are because all of us have to delete things that come on our plate. And in terms of delegating, let's not forget Delegating doesn't just include those things you can pay somebody else to do. It also includes having a conversation with your spouse or partner about, hey, we got to juggle this stuff and here's why. It's about empowering your kids to take more responsibility. It's about coming up with creative solutions with other mothers on how you can juggle kids when you all have work to do or during the summers. How can you divvy up and host a day camp for kids when you've got to get to work and then you, you reciprocate with one another? So your favorite word is no. One of my favorite words absolutely is no, and I don't think women say it enough. And and I also love to explain why. Oh, see, I don't like to. That's funny. Why do you like to explain why? Because I think it's part of being authentic. I'm not being defensive or apologetic, and I also think as a recipient, it feels really good. So, for example, I'm on book tour for... Mm-hmm you know, eight cities. And I was approached just a week ago to be involved in a fundraising effort. I said, I have to decline this. I am so grateful that you asked and I'm flattered, but this deserves someone who can put their best effort. And this cause just really deserves something better. I know it's going to be a great success. I'm cheering you on and thank you for asking. I did something similar recently with not as much explanation. And maybe this is a decade difference in our age. You get really tired explaining. (laughs) So I was asked to be on the board of something. I said, thank you so much for asking me. And I did an email. I didn't even pick up the phone, which is so bad. Thank you so much for asking me. I am really tied up in my board work right now. I wish you the best of luck. Boom. Goodbye. Because I don't want to leave the door even a smidgen open for this particular thing. Maybe I'd leave it open if I were interested. But we're saying the same thing. You did the same thing. You're really tied up in your, that's exactly it. I found this one sentence. I'm going to send you right to therapy on this one. I grew up in a family environment that often measured one kid against the other. When I read that, I felt, wow, that must have been hard. It wasn't hard in the moment because I didn't recognize it. But looking back and I look, I'm a parent of two kids And I understand that there is a natural inclination to compare one kid against the other and not understand that each child is a unique human. But oftentimes growing up, I would hear things that did compare one kid against the other. And I know my siblings did as well. As the baby of four, I remember always wanting to make everybody get along and everything be great. And I didn't want to be the one on the negative end of any of those comments. Mm. And so I try really hard not to do that with our two. 
God knows, God knows I'm not perfect, but I try really Come hard. On. Um, I love the idea of letting go of draining relationships. This is one of my favorite things. There are some people who are not supposed to be in our lives forever. They were there for some period of time. It maybe was situational. Maybe it was, uh, you know, your kids were in school at the same time, whatever it was. And then it's time to move on. But what I love that you did was to say um, the reflection of what you're feeling. And you ask some questions that I thought were fascinating. Can I be completely myself around this person? Does this person make me feel elevated or drained? Do I routinely feel like I can't do anything right in this person's eyes? Are there rules to this relationship that I can't or am unwilling to follow? And I love this. Does this relationship bring out the best of me? Does it bring out the worst in me? I had a friend who's now since passed away and she used to say, you should surround yourself with people who water your garden. Mm. Meaning that really who does bring out the best in you? So it sounds like you've had experience in doing this. And here's my question. Do you go through a formal breakup or do you just let it wither away? What I make sure to do whenever I feel I can and I feel safe doing so got to have a conversation. It's hard. It's well, it's hard and I write about it. It's gut-wrenching. It is hard and and these the end of these relationships especially when they're close like with your friend that mm-hmm. you talk about. You know, it's a death of sorts. But this also applies to the more casual acquaintance-like relationships that all of us have in both our personal and professional lives that oftentimes we hold on to and still invest in because we think we should. Mm. There's that S word that you know I write about so much. And I think it's very important to analyze all of them. And if any relationship is draining you, to really reflect why. What's going on? What part are we playing in it? Right. That's key. And I think a lot of people, um, you know, that I run across because it's financial stuff, a lot of those draining relationships are relationships through family. And some of those relationships, you can't just break up with somebody, but you can change your own mindset around it. Absolutely. Right? So you can say, you know what? My sister drives me crazy. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's the situations under which I'm going to see my sister. I'm going to enter this with a different mindset. If I just sort of downgrade the relationship or treat it slightly differently, I think I'll be happier. And to change your expectations and your investment level. Right. And what you're going to get back. Mm -hmm. All right. You can have it all, just not at the same damn time. You have some good little worksheets in there. You get people to like journal, write it down. You're a believer. This is a very actionable book. It is not a passive read. But I know for myself what I've seen happen with scores of other women, if you go all in and do the things that I tell you to do, start thinking differently about your life, you can recalibrate your life and you can fill it with all the things that you really want and stop shooting all over the place. I really thought you were about to say something different and we were going to have to bleep that because the sponsor wouldn't like it. Yeah. Romy Neustadt, the book is called You Can Have It All, Just Not at the Same Damn Time. We started the podcast and I asked you, hey, what was the best financial or career decision? What was the worst? That's a great question. I, you know what? The worst financial decision ever was when I would squander bits of my time on people and things that weren't serving my priorities and goals, which is why I came up with the calculation of how to figure out what our time is worth per hour 
that I include in the book so that we all understand what every single hour of our time is worth and we'll spend it the smart way. You're listening to Jill on Money. It's time for the Marcus Minute. We are presented by Marcus by Goldman Sachs. In the hot seat today, Romy Neustadt, entrepreneur, author, mother, friend. Ready? I'm ready. What's one word to describe your relationship with money? Empowered. What's always worth spending on? Yourself. What's the dumbest thing you've spent money on? Items for status because it was the cool thing that everybody wanted. How much do you spend on a haircut? Uh, 95 plus tip. It's your last day on earth. You've got 100 bucks in your pocket. What is your last meal? Plant-based, but it doesn't matter where it is. But it's got my husband, John, my kids, Nate and BB around that table. And it's going on until the restaurant closes. Romy Neustadt, thanks for playing. Thank you. Thanks so much to Romy Neustadt. We drop new episodes of Jill on Money every Tuesday and Thursday. Sometimes we throw in a bonus episode in as well. If you don't want to miss a single bit of Jill on Money, just subscribe to us. You can do that on our website, jillonmoney.com, or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. And if you wouldn't mind, we would love it if you could rate or review us, or maybe both, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Delercio is our executive producer. We're distributed by Cadence 13, and the show is presented by Marcus by Goldman Sachs. See you next week.